Hello, everyone, and welcome to Full Time, where we take you around the world of soccer locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. Full Time is presented by the Game Sports Podcast and powered by 91 Network. You are listening to Season 4, Episode 11 of Full Time. I am your host, Daniel Scarpino, and with me is our co-host, Gaetano Gallo. Before I begin today's show, Full Time is sponsored by Little Caesars Pizza. With their two locations in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, you can download and access the Pizza Portal app so you can enjoy a delicious hot and ready pizza from Little Caesars today. We remind our listeners that recordings of Full Time occur weekly or bi-weekly, and uploads to all of our platforms for public viewing and listening occur weekly or bi-weekly as well. Folks, we are delighted to welcome you back here to full time where we get to talk about the beautiful game. Gee, how goes it this evening, my friend? I am doing pretty well this evening. Scarps, how are you? All is good here, sir. In today's show, we will discuss some news in the world of football, including Kylian Mbappe, Roy Hodgson, Tom Lockyer, and the Women's Super League. We'll preview the Carabao Cup final. We'll discuss Europe's Big Five. We'll analyze the first leg of games from the Champions League round of 16, and we will preview the MLS season. As always, if anyone would like to listen to our previous content, please check us out at full time on the Game Sports Podcast and 91 Network. And without further ado, Gaetano, and to everyone who has taken the time to tune in here today, let's kick off. We get today's show rolling by talking about Kylian Mbappe. Gee, it has been widely reported that Kylian Mbappe will be leaving PSG in the summer for Pastures New. First and foremost, what are your thoughts on this for arguably the world's best player at this moment in time? Yeah, I mean, it's very rare that, you know, someone with that label um, is like available for a transfer and like not even just like for like a somebody like as a free transfer, as a free agent. So, um, yeah, it's kind of really the first time I think in kind of my soccer lifetime, if you want to call it that, that this has happened. So especially he's only like what, 22, 23, like you're, it's, it's not like the Messi saga when, you know, Messi might've went to city, might not have like, this is like, we're talking about a player potentially setting up their future and like legacy uh, with this next move. So I'm very interested to see how it plays out. I, I too am very interested to see how this plays out. And uh, there was some reports that came out too, that if, PSG would have cashed in on this last season when there were rumblings that he wanted to leave. They actually would have made a, a, a few pound or a few quid. So uh, regardless, uh, it is going to be interesting to see where he ends up. And that is the ultimate question, Gaetano. In your opinion, where will he end up? Okay, so I, I tried to take like a, a very wide look at this. I didn't want to just limit myself to like kind of the obvious options. Um, so I looked, first of all, in France, uh, no team other than PSG can really afford him. And that's what this, most of this comes down to, is just who can afford to pay him. Uh, yeah. He has a massive salary, probably one of the highest in the world. And just there's very few teams who can do it. So there's nobody in France outside of PSG who can pay it. So he won't be going to France. Uh, the money's just kind of dried up in the Serie A recently. Uh, kind of their big spenders have had to reel it back, uh, like Inter and Juve. So I don't see him going to Italy. In Germany... At first, I went, ah, Bayern Munich, yeah, like, they could spend the money, but I don't think they will. And then the more I thought about it, I'm like, a front three of Mbappe, Nabry, and Sané would be pretty, pretty good. <laughs> and, I mean, it would be at least them worth doing their due diligence. Just, you know, yeah. just check in. Because, because why not? You know, the worst case scenario is you don't make that move, and okay, it's fine. Um, but they're probably the only team in Germany that can afford uh, to make that move. And the more I think about that front line, I just am terrified of that. That is... 
like, especially because they have, you know, probably one of the fastest fullbacks in the world. And Alfonso Davies is the one guy who could probably help defend against that uh, also right. plays for them. So like, that's tough. Uh, going to Spain. Again, the money's very much dried up there other than Real Madrid, which is probably where he's going to end up. Uh, he's kind of publicly said it over the last few years that he's always dreamed of playing for Madrid, grew up as a Cristiano Ronaldo fan. Like, it just kind of makes sense. Uh, their president, uh, Florentino Perez, has like been very public about wanting to sign him. Um, so I don't, I think that's where he's going to end up. But there's a couple of interesting options in the Premier League. Um, so most of the teams actually probably could afford him, uh, you know, because the, there's so much money in the Premier League. But realistically, it'd be the top six that would be the most uh, kind of available to him. I don't think Chelsea would be able to just with FFP, uh, like their financial situation is horrible. Tottenham's owners are just the biggest penny pinchers in world football. There's just no way they would pay that uh, any of his wages. Uh, so it kind of brings it down to four uh, Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool and Arsenal. The only reason I discount your Arsenal is just I don't think Mbappe would be interested in joining a, a quote-unquote project. I think he wants to join an established, you know, title favorite and European favorite every year. Maybe if this was like two or three years down the road, where you know, Arsenal pick up a Premier League, you know, maybe go deep in a Champions League, go to like the semifinal, then maybe. But I just don't see him wanting to join a, a quote-unquote project. Same idea for United. They could definitely afford him, um, but I just don't. I just don't see him going to United. It just, it doesn't make sense for him. Uh, so it kind of brings to City and Liverpool. I don't want him to sign for City. I think he's a phenomenal player. One of the best in the world. But he's kind of a giant baby. <laughs> um, he has yeah. just a terrible attitude. Uh, we've seen don't, it. Don't like a, to cut you off. Don't you think yeah. a, a, like Pep could fix that? Like Here's, here's my, the thing. Here's what I, what I need from you. Here's what you're going to do. And that's it. So here's the thing, like, it's kind of, you know, if that, if the situation would happen where he's, where he's at City, he either, Pep, Pep lays down the law, like, that's it. Like, there's no, you've seen him move on guys like Cancelo when he was at Barcelona, like Ibrahimovic and like Samuel Esho. He's moved on big names. Like, he's not afraid to do that because it's his way or the highway. So it could go one of two ways where he either falls out with Pep and it's terrible and, you know, it ends in a disaster or actually Conaguero. Uh, did an interview, I think I was say two, about two weeks ago, talking about how he, his relationship with Pep was really difficult at first because he just wanted to do his thing. Most of the time under Mancini and Pellegrini, it was just kind of, not there was no tactical, like a system for Sergio Aguero, but it was just like, do what you do to get yourself goals. Like we'll kind right. of figure the rest around you. But with Pep, it wasn't like that. He had to press, he had to defend. And he realized very quickly, oh, like if I don't do my part in this, you know, the whole system falls apart. So he learned very quickly, hey, I have to, you know, contribute, you know, in different areas of the field that I normally wouldn't because that's what makes the team work. Sure. I don't think Mbappe has that in him at this point. And I just, I don't want City to be the testing ground of that because, yeah. you know, there's a really great squad harmony. Uh, and we've had that for a few years now at City where it's just, you know, you're there, you're playing for the club, you're playing for the badge, you're playing for the fans. Like it's, you just kind of check your ego at the door and the guys who haven't, you know, like someone like John Cancelo gets moved on and that's it. Like, it's not like, we don't look back at that, right? Like whatever we just go forward. I, I wouldn't want city to be the testing ground for that. Cause if it went terribly, you know, that just ruins kind of everything that Pep and city have been building all of these years. You know, if this is like talking like FIFA and like football manager where like none of that kind of matters, sure, absolutely. A front three of Foden, Mbappe, and Holland would be, you know, 
the best in the world for the next 10, 15 years, right? But I just, I don't see him, I don't see him him having the maturity to, you know, put the team, the club, the badge first. Um, And that's like, I don't want to say it's fair, but, you know, you're one of the best players in the world. You're going to be probably a Ballon d'Or favorite until you're like mid thirties. Like you can kind of have a bit of ego, right? I don't, I don't like knock him for it. I just don't think it would fit at city. And the only thing with Liverpool is we don't know who their manager is going to be next season. You know, if Klopp was sticking around, that might've been more of a pulling point, but I just don't think with that uncertainty, I just don't think they have uh, really any pulling power. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you. And I mean, it really does all point to one place, doesn't it? And I do believe he's going to go Real Madrid. I just, I don't see any other, not that I don't see any other alternative, but everything just points in that direction. And it just seems as though that's exactly where he's headed. And that's exactly where his eyes have been fixated on probably for a really long time. And, uh, you know, I, I believe it was uh, Roy Keane who said at one time too, because you're speaking about his attitude as in Kylian Mbappe. And one of the, pundit said well for France he doesn't do that he goes but I'm not talking about France I'm talking about club level he goes I I don't care about France he goes I don't watch I don't watch the France games so yeah no I I think you're you're spot on in terms of his attitude I do think possibly if there's going to be any manager in the world there's probably very few I feel like Pep probably could change it but again would you want to be the testing ground probably not and in the case of Arsenal does he want to join a project probably not so again I, I probably think that Real Madrid is his destiny but we will see as uh, the season comes to a close he will choose his next destination in other for uh in footballing news excuse me now former Crystal Palace manager Roy Hodgson fell ill during a Palace training session last week he was taken to hospital but as of recent reports he is in stable condition and doing well Gatano, it's of course great to hear that uh, Roy Hodgson is okay after his uh, incident in training. The 76-year-old has managed nearly 50, 5-0, yes, 50 seasons in professional football. It's 48 to be exact. And as per recent reports following this incident at training, Roy Hodgson has officially stepped down as Crystal Palace manager. As per Fabrizio Romano, Roy Hodgson said in a quote, this club is very special and means so much to me. I have fully enjoyed my time here, but given recent circumstances, it may be prudent at this time for the club to plan ahead and quote. The club has planned ahead and acted quickly. It will be Oliver Glasner who will become the new Crystal Palace head coach as the contract has already been signed and completed. He will take charge of his first game this Saturday when Crystal Palace play host to Burnley. Gee, just your thoughts on Roy Hodgson and what will be next for him in the world of football, assuming that his health remains okay. Yeah, first and foremost, just glad to hear he's he's okay. Uh, he's just one of those like characters that you you can't not like. Like he's never managed a team that I have supported. Like he's just always been like an opposition, but you just can't hate him. He's just such a like a, a funny character. Just like just, Portland, right? exactly, and just like loves the game. Yeah. Like comes comes out to like save Crystal Palace from relegation every couple years. Like it's just it's the best. So I'm just glad that he is doing okay. And like with with all due love and respect, there should be nothing left for him in 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 the footballing world hit up a beach, you know, kick your feet up, get it, have a couple of beers and like, just relax. You've he's worked so, so, so much given basically his whole life to the game. Like he is, you know, he's more than earned this retirement. And I really hope that he just, you know, kind of takes that time for himself now. Yeah. For his physical, mental, and probably, um, 
emotional well-being, I think uh, is probably best. And like you said, nothing left to prove. And, uh, you know, some folks were saying, you know, he doesn't have very many trophies and whatnot on his resume, but, and we've been speaking about Pep quite a lot this show already, but it was Pep who said, it's not oftentimes about the trophies that you win, but the culture that you create. And it seems as though everywhere that Roy Hodgson has gone, even though not everywhere that he's gone has ended in glory, uh, he has created a really positive culture. So I hope, like you said, nothing is left for him. Go kick your feet up because he definitely deserves it. In a similar fashion, and yet in a much scarier way, Tom Lockyer went down two months ago in a match versus Bournemouth in the 65th minute, suffering cardiac arrest. We did highlight this incident here on Full Time, and we vowed to keep everyone informed on his status. The Luton Town captain appeared on Sky Sports on Sunday, February 18th, and was in great spirits in speaking uh, to the panel of analysts and pundits. He said he is in good health, is feeling good, and that life is pretty normal since the incident. He did state that whilst his future in football is highly uncertain, his main focus will be on his soon-to-be newborn baby. Gee, probably the uh, the best news that we could have uh, reported here, not just on full-time, but in the world of football in general. Your thoughts on uh, on this incredible news, my friend? Yeah, just so happy to see him, you know, kind of being fine. Um, like we kind of compared it to the Christian Eriksen incident uh, at the Euros a couple of years ago. Like it's just one of those things that like kind of football and like everything else is kind of like takes a backseat. Like you just want Tom Locklear to be fine and just very happy to see that he is doing well. Yeah. And whether or not he's going to come back to football or not, uh, definitely do wish the best for him. But if he doesn't come back to play, I do have a funny feeling. And just listening to the way that he spoke on Sky, I feel like he could have a position, maybe not as a manager, but something to do with maybe backroom staff or something like that. Seems like a very intelligent man, but definitely glad that he's doing well. In a different light, it's Arsenal and Manchester United Women's Super League, which breaks the league's attendance record with more than 60,000 fans this past weekend. Gatano, some brilliant news this on a historical front. Your thoughts on uh, how this bodes for uh, enhancing the women's game? Yeah, um, so like kind of every time that record gets smashed, it just like it, I get more, like more and more blown away. Um, I know City have set uh, the record at one point, uh, selling I think it was about 45,000 at the Etihad. Uh, uh, that was a Manchester Derby. There's also been a Manchester Derby at Old Trafford that I think set, broke that record. Um, but 60,000 for the Women's Super League is uh, it's just incredible. And it, every time you hear like people say, like, oh, like nobody cares about women's soccer, nobody wants to watch it. It's like, this is proof of the exact opposite. Like this game, it is growing. Um, obviously, you know, it's, it'll be a very long time before it catches up to the Premier League, but that's just, you know, that's just a time thing. There's really no way to speed that up. But, you know, seeing these records get smashed, uh, you know, seeing the quality of the players, there's some like the best players in the world are playing in the WSL. Um, yeah, it's just huge for the game. Oh, it's massive. And, uh, you know, I, I heard a very good point on this because that game took place at the weekend. You have to think there were some big games on at the weekend across Europe. Yeah. It ends football. So the fact that they still have that attendance record is astounding. And uh, hopefully that continues forward for the women's game. I think it's just awesome. Now, G, let's shift gears and discuss the upcoming cup final that will be on the minds of many, and that is the Carabao Cup final. The cup final will be played between Chelsea and Liverpool on Sunday, February 25th at 10 a.m. Eastern time. G, first and foremost, how excited are you for this cup final? Uh, so I'm excited to watch it for the spectacle. Not excited about the teams playing in it. Uh, you know, it's not, not the best, uh, you know, teams as a neutral. Well, yeah. not really neutral. As a City fan, it's 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 not ideal to be watching Chelsea and Liverpool play in a cup final. But I am very excited to kind of see the the carnage unfold. 
for sure. And I do remember the cup final between those two teams in the Carabao Cup two years ago. And I remember watching that game on my couch and that ended, uh, well, it was nil-nil, but it was one of the most exciting nil-nils that I had ever seen. I think I actually tweeted that out at the time. Um, and then it ended in penalties, of course. But we do have a rematch of that. And the odds on favorites to win this cup final is, in fact, Liverpool. According to the Telegraph, Liverpool's chances to win the Carabao Cup are at a pretty favorable 64%, where Chelsea are at 36% as per the bookmakers' odds. G, stats and analytics don't win football matches, and they certainly don't win trophies. But a question uh, on the minds of many people is the following. Is there something to be said for how things line up for this cup final statistically between these two sides? And just for background knowledge, Liverpool edged Chelsea in all major statistical categories, including time of possession, XG, which is the expected uh, goals based on chances created, shots per game, and shots on target per game. The floor is yours, sir. Um, Specifically against Chelsea, I don't think it really matters much. Uh, If you look at the stats before the 2021 Champions League final, they would have said that City should have blown Chelsea out of the water, um, but they played a very solid game. And I realize it's kind of like the makeup of the team is different now, obviously. But just, you know, yeah, like stats aren't really great for like a one-off game. If you want to talk about like a full season's worth of, you know, where a team should finish, you know, compared to another team, yes. But for kind of a one-off cup final, I don't really think stats matter too, too much. Yeah, and and it's one of those things we, we say it all the time in, in the coaching world. Hey, it's a cup final, so anything can happen and pretty much everything goes out the window. And oftentimes, as you know, being a City fan, because you get to so many cup finals, you actually don't play your best game in a cup final, right? So anything can really happen there. But more on a tactical front, G, how do you think that both of these teams might set up going into this contest? I mean, my thoughts as someone who doesn't, you know, study either their, like, tactics the way I do cities, I'm going to assume Chelsea are going to set up uh, kind of the way they did against City over the weekend, which is sit back, absorb pressure and counterattack through Sterling, probably uh, Nkunku as well. And Liverpool are going to try and kind of go up for a full-on assault, uh, you know, offensively and just try and not kill the game that way. Yeah, and it seems like Liverpool's injury report, I mean, I didn't realize it was as bad as it was, but they got like a lot of players out. So, yeah, if they're going to go all out assault, it's going to have to be some some maybe not so key guys stepping up to play in key roles. So definitely looking forward to seeing that. But I do agree on the Chelsea front. Uh, I think they kind of have a recipe and it's it is a bit of, you know, it's a bit of a gamble when you play like that. But if it works out, it uh, it really works out in your favor. So, Gatano, we do have to officially pick who we believe will win this trophy. So I'll be turning it over to you for, one, the winner of this contest and the scoreline of the game. This is tough. I, I'm going to lean Liverpool. I want to say it's going to be 3-1, but the third goal is going to be very late when Chelsea's pushing the tie. It's going to be like 2-1, very, very late. They're going to push forward and Ch- uh, Liverpool's going to get one last break to make it 3-1. That's my prediction. Love the prediction. I'm also going to take Liverpool and have a very similar scoreline. I'm taking Liverpool to win 3-2. to two. I think there's going to be some goals in this game. And I also think that this is going to be sort of part one of uh, Klopp's departure as Liverpool manager. A final reminder once again that this cup final will be played on Sunday, February 25th at 10 a.m. Eastern time. And our next episode of Full Time will be able to review the outcome of this cup final for you all. This is Daniel Scarpino and Gaetano Gallo, and you're listening to Full Time on the Game Sports Podcast and 91 Network. A reminder that Full Time is sponsored by Little Caesars Pizza. You can download and access the Pizza Portal app for any of the two locations in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Have a delicious hot and ready pizza from Little Caesars today. Let's now get into Europe's Big Five, and we will get the ball rolling with the English Premier League. 
It's Liverpool who remain top with 60 points. Manchester City is in second with 56 points. Arsenal is third with 55 points. Aston Villa occupy fourth with 49 points. It's Tottenham in fifth, chasing that final Champions League position with 47 points of their own. Manchester United in sixth has 44 points. Gee, it looks like a three-headed monster for this title race. First, your thoughts on those three teams that were just mentioned at the top. And second, is it start? Uh, is it time, excuse me, rather, that we start considering Manchester United as a for sure top four contender? <laughs> I got a, a very simple answer for that in a minute here. But just looking at the top three for right now, uh, so Arsenal and City still actually have a game in hand uh, on Liverpool. So it's a lot even closer than the numbers look uh, at this point. You know, City can pull within a point, Arsenal within two, uh, you know, depending on their results. And yeah, I think at this point, I, I don't see Villa or Spurs kind of making that jump into this uh, discussion. I think we're for sure looking at a three, three-way three title race here. And yeah, it's, uh, you know, we're just about 12 games left, 12, 13 games left. Like it's uh, it's going to be right down to the wire, I think. Absolutely. And then um, to the point of Manchester United, they've uh, they've been in a good Recent run of form, obviously, after the uh, the Ratcliffe news of, um, you know, new ownership and what have you and money and everything else. So what, what do you think on that front? Uh, I still think they're hilariously outside of top four contention, um, you know, and that's like I'm trying not to be a City fan in this. I'm just like, but like their squad's still a mess, Yeah. Um, you know, their manager, you know, as much as as good of a manager as he is, it's just kind of, it still hasn't really clicked. Like you see it sometimes and then it's just com- it's completely fallen apart other games. Uh, so they're just a mess everywhere. They're a mess in the boardroom. So yeah, I just look at them compared to you know kind of the five or six teams ahead of them, and I just, I just really don't see it. Yeah, and I think maybe for this season it might be a little bit off the table unless we get surprised by something. But I uh, did hear reports. I don't know if it's confirmed yet, um, but they finally appointed a department of football. So, <laughs> About like fifteen years too late, but you know. Yeah. So I mean, if that's the case, then obviously things are going to trend in the right direction for them. You'd have to think, but. Yeah, we're going to keep an eye on that top four race as much as we want to keep an eye on those top three teams because it's uh, pretty exciting what's happening up there and looking forward to the weekend when City and Arsenal play not against each other, but they both have the games of their own. And in the bottom three, it is Sheffield, Burnley and Luton Town. Nottingham Forest has given themselves some breathing room, at least for now, pushing to 16th. But it is Everton who are only out of the relegation zone on goal difference. Do any of these teams at the bottom have the potential to go on a three to four game run and get themselves out of trouble here? So I think of the four you mentioned there, Sheffield, uh, Burnley, Luton, Everton, Everton are probably the most likely if one of those teams is going to go kind of, you know, pick up a bunch of points in a short span. I, I really just don't see Sheffield, Burnley or Luton being able to string two, two wins together here. It's, it's kind of just the way it's been this season. Pretty much. And actually, Luton Town gave them a good, a good account of themselves the other day against Liverpool in the first half. But again, it is one of those things where you just see it like class personified in the second half from yeah. Liverpool. And Luton Town had no way to cope. And their manager actually said that, like, yeah, we're, we were really good on the day, but Liverpool were just so much better. So, yeah, I, I don't think that any of those teams have had the ability to go on a three to four game run. But if it is going to be anybody, you'd probably have to say Everton. Italy City A. Inter has opened up a nine-point gap at the top with a game in hand. They have 63 points to second place Juve, who have 54 points. Milan still sit third. The likes of Atalanta, Bologna, Roma, Fiorentina, Lazio, Napoli, and uh, Torino are all in with a shout for that fourth and final spot in the division, which would qualify for Europe next season. Itano, is Inter starting to run away with this? 
Yeah, I think I think they're starting to. I don't want to, you know, kind of call it just yet. I think they still have uh, incredible challengers in Juve and AC Milan who could kind of put those type of runs together to see themselves uh, kind of get back into the challenge. But uh, the way Inter have been playing, I I find it difficult to see them uh, losing the title this year. Yeah, and uh, that Champions League performance, which we're going to talk about here very shortly, they were excellent in that game. So, um, yeah, no, the, the way they look is great, but I'm not willing to say that they're running away with it yet. But I think pretty soon I might be able to change my opinion on that. Out in Spain, La Liga has begun to shift, but just slightly. After recent slip-ups in their past two matches, Girona is now six points off of first place Real Madrid, who have 62 points. Barcelona continue to push to challenge as they sit two points off Girona. Girona having 60, uh, excuse me, 56 points, of course, and Barcelona with 54. And fourth is Atletico with 51. G, is Girona now beginning to fall away? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I think, you know, like they've been playing so good. I think the 4-0 loss to Real Madrid uh, that we kind of hyped up that game so much last time we talked, uh, I think it was very disheartening for them uh, yeah. to be kind of, you know, going like kind of toe-to-toe with them all season. They drew them earlier in the season, like, and then to just get completely outclassed uh, in that fashion, just kind of, yeah, threw, the, threw them off their kind of their rhythm and their pace. Uh, I, barring a miracle, I don't see them being able to pull it back. I think this is Real Madrid's to, to lose here. Yeah, I, I agree too. And it's one of those things where, especially when, like, I don't know how to put this without sounding like rude or, or what have you, but when you don't know how to win, like if you've never been in that position, yeah. your emotions get the better of you. Hence, Arsenal last season. You have a bunch of young players there, don't really have experience in the squad. Not to say that Girona doesn't, but certainly not the likes of Real Madrid. If you don't have that type of experience, if you're not used to winning and if you haven't won before, you don't know how to cope with that. And then you tend to fall away towards the end. I've seen it in coaching. I've seen it in playing. I've seen it professionally uh, with watching for so many years. That's just what happens and uh, football especially. So I think that they are starting to fall away. But, you know, who knows? Maybe Real Madrid have a slip up of their own, even though I don't uh, potentially foresee that. Germany's Bundesliga continues to entertain. It is Leverkusen who remain unbeaten in the league and sit atop of the division with 58 points. Bayern is second and trying to narrow the gap to put in a title challenge. Stuttgart remained third. It's Dortmund who have moved into fourth position with RB Leipzig on their heels. Gee, after Leverkusen's victory over Bayern by a score of 3-0 last week, we also hyped that game up here on our show. It really is looking like it's theirs to lose. Then to add more drama to the mix, it's Bayern Munich manager Thomas Tuchel, who has announced that he will be leaving his post as Bayern Munich manager at the end of the season. Gee, just some crazy stuff right now out there in Germany. What can you say about the Bundesliga and the Thomas Tuchel moves? Every time we like get to the Bundesliga and you talk about the undefeated Bayern, uh, Bayern Leverkusen, it like it just blows my mind that we're at this point of the season and like they're still unbeaten. They're still playing. Like they're not they're not even compromising the way that they play to kind of get yeah. results because you, you kind of tend to see that sometimes where and you know City have done it and they're kind of in a little bit of spell of that now. Where it's, uh, it's maybe not the prettiest wins, but they're getting the job done. Like, you know, Bayern, Le- Bayern Leverkusen are still flying. Um, it's it's insane. Uh, the way they just manhandled Bayern Munich uh, at the weekend was just nuts. Like, very few teams in Europe are able to do that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, just, I've, I'm blown away by them. They're just so good. And Thomas Tuchel leaving, I'm not overly surprised. Um I, I don't mean any disrespect to Bayern Leverkusen when I say this because they have we've talked about how phenomenal they've been, but like 
when you're given a squad like Bayern Munich, you spend 100 million bringing Harry Kane, like the expectation is you run away with the Bundesliga because you're Bayern Munich and that's what you do. And you challenge deep in Europe. They're, you know, I don't want to say out of the Bundesliga title race, but they are very quickly slipping away from it. And they're not really pushing very far in Europe, I don't think. Um, you know, we'll talk about that in a little bit here. But yeah, I'm not surprised to see him uh, heading to the exit kind of before he ends up uh, in the guillotine getting sacked. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. And sometimes the way you get appointed um, actually matters in terms of how you leave. And last year with the appointment, um, I didn't feel that he needed to be appointed to Munich, in my personal opinion. I know you, you felt similar too. But in the case of Leverkusen, which is where the focus really is, it, what I find to be unbelievable, like you said, Number one, of course, the way that they're playing and how they're winning, that's unbelievable. But with all the distractions with the media, where's Javi Alonso going to go next? Where's he going to go next year? They're trying to like intentionally distract the team with this new, with the news of their manager. The team's not distracted. Like they're such a, a, a well-oiled machine and they're so well-drilled that they're just blocking out the outside noise. It's absolutely incredible what they're doing. And, you know, I, I, are they going to finish the season unbeaten? We asked that question last show you know, I don't think so, but could it happen? I don't know. Like with every game that goes by more and more possible, isn't it? Yeah. And like, like what you said about like the distractions. So what happened, it was around this time last year, actually, that uh, the, the Premier League announced the 115 charges against Manchester city. And it kind of served as like a, a rallying point for the locker room where it was just one of those things where it's, it was now kind of us versus them. And we are going to do, you know, everything in our power to like push through um, and I think this stuff with Xabi Alonso could really be that kind of rallying cry for that team to really just kind of lock it down and say, we're just putting our heads down and we are grinding out this last bit of the season to, you know, kind of to shut up the haters and the, and the critics and the media. And yeah, I think, um, like like I said, it, you don't want to say that they're going to go undefeated because like, it's just, it's a crazy thing to to say, even, you know, with the 12 games left, they're like, it's nuts, but like they, they, they could. I'm not, I'm knocking on my, my desk is wood. I'm knocking on wood right now, but like they, they could. Yeah, it's, it's true. And uh, like I said, with every game, they get closer and closer, but to your point, what you're pointing at is mindset. And these players have a very, very strong mindset in that Leverkusen side and uh, kudos to the manager, of course. And in France's Liga, the title race for, uh, for what's up for grabs there is now becoming a battle of who might actually just finish second place. PSG has opened up a 13-point gap at the top of the table as they sit first with 53 points. Brest is in second with 40 points. Nice, Lille, Monaco, Lons, and Rennes are all trying to push for places in the remaining European positions. Gitano, I always use Valentine's Day as uh, as sort of the reckoning point every year where things uh, during Europe's Big Five tend to shift one way or the other. In this case, it is PSG who are uh, pretty much all but running away with it uh, in Liga at this point. Are we on track to say that the uh, the title race is pretty much done out there? Uh, yeah, and like kind of from the opposite uh, side of the Serie A where Inter kind of has legit challengers, I just I look at the rest of Serie A and I just don't see any one of those teams being able to pull back a uh, 13-point <laughs> deficit, uh, you know, at this point in the season. I just think, yeah, like, and this is kind of what PSG have done and should have really be doing all the time uh, is running away with this. So yeah, I think it's basically over at this point. Yeah, I'm pretty much ready to just say that it is, in fact, over. We do have to cover it because they are a part of Europe's Big Five on our show. But uh, again, as the weeks progress, 
like we said in the, in the Bundesliga, as the weeks progress, you're almost convinced more and more that Leverkusen can go undefeated. In Ligue 1, with PSG, as the weeks go on, you're just convinced more and more that they're just going to run away with this because the 13-point gap at this point is insane. So, yeah, it looks there's uh, there's to be once more. The Champions League is back on, and it is the round of 16 that we are switched on to. Catano, the first leg of games uh, in the round of 16 have wrapped up. What can you say about these games for Europe's biggest cup competition at club level? So I didn't get to watch a lot of these games because they're on while I'm at work. But uh, from the highlights, you look at kind of the scores and you go, oh, like there's a couple of shocks in there. But you watch the highlights and like it's not there's not a lot of real shocks in there. And, you know, after watching the highlights, um, I think some of the the big hitters kind of didn't come to play. And I think some of the smaller teams really kind of stepped up to the occasion. Most definitely, yeah, and uh, I'm similar to you that the games are on whilst I'm at work, so I have to catch all the extended highlights, which is absolutely better than nothing, but uh, yeah, just based on what you see, like you said, the, the score line, when you when you see it without watching, it's like, whoa, for some of them, which we're going to get into here, but then you actually see those extended highlights and the, the match review and everything else, it's like, oh, it's not really that surprising, so let's get into it here and now. First, it was your Manchester City, Gaetano, who made the trip to Copenhagen and made good on the trip winning by a score of 3-1. to one. Gia, a very dominant performance from City in this first leg away from home. Please let us know your analysis uh, of your side in this contest. Yeah, I thought City looked um, not kind of fully back to normal, but uh, kind of as close to normal as, as we've been uh, for the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, another team from Manchester went to Copenhagen and lost 4-3. So, you know, it's always nice to see, uh, you know, us go and getting the result uh, like we should. Um, and really kind of... I like kind of take a little bit of a broader look at the the knockouts, like kind of one of the only really convincing performances uh, kind of across this last 16 here. So uh, yeah, very pleased with it. Yeah, sets you up very nicely going to the Etihad for uh, the second leg. Real Madrid faced up against RB Leipzig and had to battle their way to a 1-0 victory. Gee, the uh, return leg will be hosted in Spain at the Bernabeu. Uh, can Leipzig make something of this tie, do you think? I, I really think they have a chance. They are... So City have played them in the group stage and knockouts of the last couple of Champions Leagues. Like they are a very good team. They can step up. They can really like put pressure on kind of top European teams. Although they are down one nil, like I would not be shocked to see them maybe get a result. You know, even if it's a draw and they go out, like they could still pull a result uh, in Madrid. And I wouldn't be like overly shocked if they were to kind of squeak their way through here. Yeah, I, I can never see, uh, I, like, I never see an RB, RB Leipzig team just, um, you know, taking and saying, okay, we'll just walk away with it. I think that they're, if they're going to go down, they're going to go down swinging. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that second leg because I think they're going to go in and really fight for it, even if uh, Real Madrid do pull through. PSG did what they were supposed to do, and that was take care of business at home. They win the first leg of their tie against Real Sociedad by a score of 2-0. to nil. Catano Mbappe and Barcola stole the show for PSG largely en route to this victory. What are you saying about this one? So Sociedad actually held up really well for like a good chunk of this game. Uh, I was impressed. Uh, they're, they were playing such a ridiculously high line against Mbappe and it, it was driving me crazy. But for a large, large chunk of the game, they actually like were containing him pretty well. I think PSG's kind of quality pulled them through this. But, uh, you know, if they can get a really solid defensive display in the second half, or in, sorry, in the second leg, like, it's not totally out of this world, uh, them kind of maybe getting a result out of this. 
Yeah, no, it's definitely not totally out of this world. And the last uh, tactical element in coaching anyways that not too many people talk about is the element of surprise. So the fact that that line was so high against a player like Kylian Mbappe was rather surprising, but in some ways did catch them off guard. So who knows what other tactical adjustments uh, will be made by Sociedad in the second leg, but I would like them to make uh, the second leg competitive just to see if maybe they can knock out PSG or just even challenge a little bit. Lazio defeated 10-man Bayern Munich by a score of 1-0 to to set up an incredibly interesting second leg in Germany. Gitano Harry Kane has come out publicly and stated that he isn't totally happy with how Thomas Tuchel is using him in the tactical setup at Bayern and the service that he is getting up front, or the lack of service, if you will. And uh, a larger and probably uh, more important topic is that Bayern didn't look themselves in this matchup. In this game specifically, for the first time this competition this season, Bayern failed to register a shot on target. Gatano, the floor is yours. Yeah, so... I kind of, I want to credit Lazio a little bit for kind of making Bayern uncomfortable. They didn't uh, they didn't kind of just let them keep the ball and you know kind of do what most teams do against Bayern, which is let them dominate. They kind of brought it to them a little bit, and not not a little bit, but like they brought it to them like a fair amount. Um, kind of threw Bayern off their rhythm. They never really got any rhythm. Uh, some of the clips I watched of Harry Kane, you know, he'd so at Tottenham he could like drop off and like Sun would kind of fill in his spot, and they had a really great rotation going. But you see Harry Kane would drop off into midfield to like make a play. He'd spray the ball. And then there would just be this giant gap in their front line where Harry Kane is supposed to be. And nobody kind of filling that in. So yeah, it's it's a it's just weird and Bayern Munich right now. Uh, and if they don't sort themselves out, I would not be shocked to see Lazio uh, eliminate them in the round of 16 here. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. And given the discontent of the club right now, the stuff with Tuchel not doing as well as they would have thought in the Bundesliga, I could totally see them going on the second leg. But I think the thing that saves them is that they are at home. So they probably can make a little bit more of it than they would as opposed to if they were on the road. PSV and Dortmund battled to a 1-1 draw, which sets up a fantastic finale in the second leg. Gee, the return leg is at Dortmund Stadium in Germany. Who should feel more confident right now of these two teams? I know this is the tie that you were looking forward to most apart from the City one. Yeah, this is, I thought the first leg was brilliant. Um, kind of exactly what you want from kind of PSV and Dortmund is just a bit of chaos, uh, you know, yeah. a little bit of everything. No, you know, it's not a big tactical battle like Inter and Atletico, which we're, you know, could talk about a minute here, but like just a bit of chaos and just like, like a fun 90 minutes of football. I expect the same in the second leg. And I think Dortmund's home fans are going to give them a little bit of an edge here. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, I'm I'm just looking forward to just like a really chaotic second leg. Hopefully that's what will go down. I'd love to see it uh, go all the way to PKs. I'd love to, to just see them battle. I'd love to see yellow cards, red cards, and just, uh, yeah, just just mad chaos I would love to see. But we will, uh, yeah, we'll definitely keep a close eye on that one. And to your point, like you said uh, a couple of shows ago, you were definitely looking forward to that one most. And I can absolutely see why. Inter found their way to a 1-0 victory over Atletico after a pretty dominant home performance. G Atletico didn't register a shot on target the entire game, and Inter had a very disciplined team performance. It will be the Italian side who takes the advantage into the second leg. G, what does Atletico need to do differently in order to be more competitive in the second leg? Because I was talking with some of my teammates after we played Tuesday night, and um, Atletico is not going to be able to play the same way that they did in the first leg. No, they were like super passive, which like you kind of get playing on the road, uh, you know, you don't yeah. want to, you know, go all out, uh, you know, not in your home stadium. It's kind of a recipe for disaster, especially get a really good team like Inter. But yeah, like Atletico is going to have to kind of step out of their shell a bit here, uh, you know, at the Wanda. And I don't know if that's going to suit them very well. I think, you know, if they try and 
it's weird because if they sit back and do nothing, Inter is more than happy to just, you know, keep the ball for 90 minutes, do nothing and go through one nil. But I also think if Atletico push, you know, not too much, but like push too undisciplined, uh, Inter could pick them apart and it could, you know, turn into a real mess for Atletico. I think they have to be very smart, uh, you know, very disciplined with their kind of pushing and their attack in the second leg or else it could get really ugly for them. Yeah, you almost wonder, and I know that this might be a bit of a, a stretch, but you almost wonder if Atletico might set up in the same way that they typically do. And then all of a sudden, 75th minute, they throw... Go the for it. <laughs> like, it's it's a bit of... Um, I mean, not too many teams really do that these days. Like, Manchester United used to do that quite often, right? But uh, could that happen? I would love to see it, just because um, it would make for a hectic ending. But... Uh, yeah, they're going to have to change something at some point in the game. They can't do what they did in the first leg because uh, they need a goal. Porto did the business against Arsenal, defeating the Gunners by a score of 1-0 in the first leg of their tie. Gee, uh, Arsenal was well off the pace in the match and never really looked a threat. And to go off what we just said about uh, the past couple of games between um, Atletico and then the one with uh, Bayern, Arsenal also did not register a shot on target in this game. Very... Um, uh, unlike them, we'll call it. So largely, this was a disappointing performance. Uh, your assessment here? Yeah, I think I think this is going to be a like I I don't because you're an Arsenal fan. I don't really want to like just rip them, but I think this is a learning curve for yeah. for like the club, for the players, and also for the fans. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk online. Of, oh, it's it's Porto. We should be you know we should be running through them. You know, bring on Bayern Munich, bring on Real Madrid. Like, you know, Europe is tough. You know, as a city fan, like I learned that the hard way. Like, Europe is tough. Like there are some really, really solid teams. They're not pretty. They're not, you know, flashy. But when you know, when the stadium lights are on them and the focus is on them, like they kind of lock in and get the job done. Porto have been one of those teams in Europe for a long time. Uh, I think this was a good learning curve for Arsenal. Uh, you know, that it's they have to kind of find that next level. They can't, you know, the level that they're running at is very good. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not discrediting what they've been doing in the Premier League in Europe thus far. But like, you have to find that next level. Um, <clears throat> I think they can do it. They have enough quality in the squad uh, to get there. I just, uh, yeah, I think and even like one nil is not, it's not like a massive mountain to climb either. Um, I would be shocked to see them go out. But um, I think it's still a possibility. Yeah, and you know what? Two things, really. You know, w when it comes to Portal, right? I said it when we recorded a couple of, of times ago when there was a certain Arsenal podcast that was saying, give us anybody. And, and you said, too, well, you do have to have sort of that arrogance and that mentality. But at the same time, I said on this show, Portal is still a really, really good team, and you can't underestimate that. So that's the first thing I wanted to say. Second thing, and you know this being a City fan, you can't think that the exact same way you play in a Premier League match on a Saturday morning Eastern time, but Saturday afternoon in England, you're going to go and do the same thing, same tactical setup and have the same performance in Europe on a Wednesday night. Just not going to happen. Different atmosphere amongst many other different things. So Arsenal's going to have to figure out a few different things in that second leg, but I've got faith in the players and in the manager. Napoli and Barcelona play to a 1-1 draw, setting up a fantastic and fascinating finale in the second leg. Gee, the return leg uh, will be played at home for Barcelona. How much does this factor in for how this tie might end up? Um, I think it, this could really go either way. The Barcelona fans uh, are very vocal kind of in both extremes in support and, uh, you know, when, when it's not going well. 
So I think, you know, if, if Napoli get an early goal, you know, if Barcelona aren't playing up to their best, I think the home crowd could very much turn on, on Barcelona and kind of compound things and make it worse for them. But at the same time, if, if Barca were to get an early goal, you know, start playing well, get some like kind of good attacks going, there could kind of be that boost to get them across the finish line. Um, but Napoli is a solid squad, um, a very good team. And I could, uh, I don't want to say they're, because I, I have, I think I picked them to go through, right? I have Napoli, right? Uh, I'm just looking here. You do have Napoli, yes. And so do I. Yeah. So do I. Yeah. So like, I, it, it's hard to like, you know, discount them and discredit them. Um, yeah, I just have this this weird feeling, gut feeling with Barcelona. The game at the Camp Nou, like, I think they might have it. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, uh, you know, with coaching, oftentimes, coach, okay, let's have let's have a good start here today, lads. Let's have a good start. So, how, like, to your point, it's probably going to be about how they start this game. If Napoli can come in and rattle the cage a little bit, the cage being all of those fans at the Camp Nou, well, that that could bode really well for them. Or if Barcelona come out and they're on the front foot and they're connecting passes and. You know, they're playing between the lines and they're having some good attacks, to your point. That could bode well for them. So I think uh, the start in this match will uh, will be absolutely crucial. A reminder to our listeners that the second leg of games in the Champions League round of 16 begins Tuesday, March 5th and concludes on Wednesday, March 13th. It has been a short break, but it is back. And when we say it, we, of course, mean the MLS Major League Soccer. I've got to say, G. This year really snuck up on me, unlike uh, other years. Uh, it felt like yesterday that uh, we were talking about the MLS Cup final here on Full Time just before Christmas. And now we're getting ready to kickstart the uh, the MLS 2024 season this weekend. How are you feeling now that we've got Major League Soccer back on our television screens after just a very short seven or eight weeks? Yeah, this. so I got the kind of surprise caught me over the weekend. I was looking at going down to Toronto in March. And I was like, oh, let's see what else is going on in Toronto. And like, wait. There's TFC games. Yeah. Like we're, we're, we're already there. Like, holy shit. But yeah, I am. I am so excited that uh, the MLS is back. Uh, hoping for a rebound season for Toronto FC. But uh, I just think, you know, any chance to watch Lionel Messi play soccer on TV is going to be great. So I'm super looking forward to that. Most definitely. And with previewing this year, according to oddschecker.com, the early favorites are what you just mentioned with Messi. And this is to no surprise, Inter Miami to win it all. Second best odds are the defending champions of the MLS, the Columbus Crew. FC Cincinnati has third best odds. After that, it's Philadelphia, New York Red Bulls, Orlando City, Atlanta, and Nashville. Gee, before we get into some other stuff here, uh, are there any teams that jump out at you for either obvious or maybe surprising reasons? Um, so I'm I'm shocked that Seattle aren't in kind of one of the favorites because they've just been a powerhouse in MLS for almost the last decade. Uh, they're the bane of my existence, <laughs> you know, essentially in MLS. Uh, I'm shocked that they're not in there. They're always just kind of one of those teams that they're always kind of in that conversation for, uh, you know, favorites for MLS Cup. So that uh, that is a shock to me. I do expect them, you know, by the end of the season to be in and around that conversation. Um, and as far as the rest of the league goes, uh, I'm really excited to see what NYCFC does. Obviously, with their links to Man City, I've always kind of had a little bit of soft spot for them, even though they're rivals of Toronto FC. Um They've done some decent business over the summer. I'm uh, interested to see how that plays out. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Oh, I, said, I just said over the summer. It's over the winter. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I, again, no surprise here Inter Miami to, to be favorites. I knew that that was coming. But, um, you know, I, I'd love to see what the Columbus crew could do again, uh, to see if they could try and run it back. And FC Cincinnati, uh, I think that they're on for uh, probably a good season as well. And then there's some other ones in there. But who knows? There could be a, there could be a surprise that awaits us. But 
I also think that Inter Miami is probably going to be that one that not runs away with it, not by any means, but certainly the favorites. And as everyone knows, amongst the many great things in our friendship between uh, Gatano and myself, it is our love for TFC that we've shared for more than a decade now that truly connects us. Gee, it's hard to see anything getting worse uh, for TFC given the season we had in 2023. But uh, what do you think that we can expect from our club this season? Um, progress is my is my hope. I, you know, I'm I'm not naive enough to think that we're going to go and challenge for MLS title, you know, next season. Um, but I would like to see us not lose all the time like even even if we had like a 500 record like win one lose one like that would be better than uh i think last season we ran at 0.213 point uh like a winning percentage which is just yeah it's just it's woeful it's just it's just so bad uh if you excuse me for a second i'm just pulling up toronto fc made a signing yesterday uh, and i for the life of me cannot remember his first name uh his uh last name is long he's from uh Birmingham, Birmingham, birmingham city uh over in england um, I think that's uh, kind of similar, a similar mold to like the Drew Moore and even like Stephen Caldwell previously of that kind of just defensive anchor, no nonsense, who's going to sort kind of hopefully, hopefully sort the back line out because that's been basically the biggest problem for the last three or four years is just, you know, leaking goals would be putting yeah. it, you know, lightly. It's like there's, you know, no defense or goaltending there at all. Um, I just need to pull up his name here because I feel bad not knowing it. Go ahead. Um, to that point, sorry, too. Kevin Long. Kevin Long. Yeah, and you know what, to that point, obviously the defense and the structure defensively really hasn't been there, goalkeeping the whole bit, but even the lack of ideas offensively, we talked about it so often on our show, how many times are you going to just spray the ball out to Insigne on an island and expect that he's going to take on two or three defenders? Yeah, it's going to work out once every two or three games maybe, but that can't be your, your main line of attack or your main idea when you're attacking. So Hopefully, like you said, progress this season. That's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, steps ahead, not steps backwards. And while the season is quite literally just getting started, and whilst we know that anything can happen in the world of football, gee, who do you see by the time that December rolls around in 10 months' time, and it will be here before we know it, we know how fast uh, uh, time goes in the world of football, who do you see hoisting the MLS Cup trophy? So this is typically where I would be like, oh, Toronto FC, because, you know, I do this on the Bitter Rivals podcast with Avery. The, the Montreal Canadiens, my, my favorite team, have been awful for the last couple of years. But on our previous show, I always say the Canadians are going to win the Cup, because that's what you have to do as a Canadiens fan. Yeah. So as, as a Toronto FC fan, I'm going to say Toronto FC. But realistically, uh, to me, the picture of Messi, Busquets, Jordi Alba, and Luis Suarez, you know, celebrating MLS Cup, kind of, the, the, the story kind of writes itself there, that these players reunite in Miami and can kind of get that last chapter of success in their careers yeah and i'm uh, i'm also in the same boat as you as much as i'd love to say that tfc is gonna win it all i'd love actually to be fair i'd love to see tfc just challenge for a title uh title spot excuse me a playoff spot uh but i do believe that inter miami will be hoisting the mls cup trophy in 10 months time and uh, we're going to keep everything tracked here on uh, on full time g as uh, as we always do but a very interesting point about the MLS team, and I think it's important we talk about this. The MLS season may start, and in fact it will start, with replacement referees amid labor disputes as per the professional referee organization. The referees are currently locked out until fair compensation can be met as its members and governing bodies will hopefully come to an agreement. Gee, we, we talk about the need for high-quality refs all of the time. You and I, in our personal conversations and on this show, what does this mean for the MLS to kickstart the season? Yeah, it's uh, it's a really, really weird spot that they're in. Um, and I, I, look, I don't like MLS refs. I think they're 
some of the this is going to sound really bad. They're like on like the lower end of the the spectrum when it comes to professional refereeing quality. Um, they're not great. Yeah. But they're better than like not having professional refs refing the games. Um, and also I, as much as I, you know, shit on refs, you know, I do, I do have some respect for them and what they do. It's not an easy job uh, in the slightest. It's a super high pressure job. Um, and they do deserve to be compensated properly for that. Um, so I do hope that they get that kind of re- that happy medium resolution uh, between MLS and their referees that, you know, they get compensated what they, you know, should and should fairly do. And also that the league, you know, kind of sorts this out before, hopefully, like, I like, I pray that it's only like kind of one weekend of this kind of, I don't want to call it garbage, but it's, it's a garbage situation that the league's put themselves in. Hopefully we kind of have to deal with it once, one weekend nothing major happens, you know, the, the title won't be, hope, thankfully won't be decided this weekend, you know, kind of get it out of the way and MLS kind of sorts themselves out and gets the referees compensated. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, the sooner it can be sorted, the better. And, you know, when, when you take a look at that jump from amateur to pro, like they're going to have like, they will be decent referees, but by measurements from again, amateur to pro, you're talking some jump there. Like, you know, so yeah. Like, can you can you just imagine like an amateur referee being like okay like I have to referee Lionel Messi tonight like yeah. that's a like and not that everyone in MLS is of that caliber like they're you know but like someone's gonna have to do that like there's gonna be an amateur referee dealing with like Luis Suarez and Sergio Busquets and Jordi Alba and Lionel Messi getting in his face and that's that's a shitty situation for him to be in and yeah. for those officials to be in like that's not fair to them. Uh, and I hope that, you know, outside of this, that they are very, you know, well compensated for what they are kind of being put in because it's not a great spot for them. No, it's not. And uh, it'll be a great story for whoever referees that <laughs> games, rather, uh, for the grandkids one day. And uh, if they're ever stuck, I'm available. <laughs> I'm out here in Sioux City, I'm available. Amateur level referee at its finest. So I could jump in if you need me for one game. So I think I, I think I think Miami comes to Toronto in like September. So if it holds out that long, you know, you're you're within a shout. <laughs> I guess yeah, we got tremendous problems if it holds out that long. But that I can say. And as I said, and as we said here, as the season progresses, uh, we will keep you all informed on the MLS as uh, full time is based here in Canada, and we have many American listeners. It's definitely something that unites us uh, here on our own soil at home from a professional soccer point of view. And for all MLS games, you can catch them on your local television sports network. And full schedule standings and news can be found at MLSsoccer.com. This is Daniel Scarpino and Gaetano Gallon. You are listening to Full Time on the Game Sports Podcast and 91 Network. A reminder that Full Time is sponsored by Little Caesars Pizza. You can download and access the Pizza Portal app for any of the two locations in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Have a delicious hot and ready pizza from Little Caesars today. Ladies and gentlemen. That is full time. As we wrap up today's show, we want to thank you for being with us. Your support is unwavering. Gene, my brother, well done this evening. Yeah, you know, it's always a pleasure to come on. There's, you know, we were talking about it kind of before we started recording. Like, there's just nothing better than coming home from work on a Thursday night, talking the beautiful game, spending some time with you. It's just, it's just perfect. So thank yeah. you again for having me on. No problem, man. It's always a pleasure. And we get to do it again next week a reminder to our listeners that the next episode of full-time will be recorded the week of february 26 2024 in that show we will discuss the outcome of the carabao cup final the results from the fifth round of the fa cup europe's big five and which we haven't done in some time local soccer as always we will keep everyone in the loop with all the happenings in the world of football 
For weekly content, make sure to hit like, follow, and subscribe to all platforms of both the Game Sports Podcast and 91 Network on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Podbean. For Gatano Gallo, my name is Daniel Scarpino, and thank you for tuning in to Full Time. We look forward to seeing you at kickoff next time back here on the Game Sports Podcast and 91 Network. Best always.